we were proud just to live in the moment. You know, when, whenever we had one of those special games, it was like, man, that was incredible. Like that was, and then I think right around, right around week 12 or 13, you know, is when all the talk, I, I believe, started to happen about the possibilities of getting this record. And then it became, you know, a little bit nerve wracking, you know, because it was always being talked about. Okay, how, how many touchdowns did he have this week? How many yards? Uh, and so the pressure did mount, but we still felt like we were unstoppable, to be honest with you. That's, that's just the way we felt. Like there was no one at that time that could stop us from doing what we wanted to do. In 2006, the culture that head coach Marty Schottenheimer instilled came to fruition. The Bolts were stacked in all phases of the game as they were tough in the trenches and also led the league in sacks, with two players finishing in the top ten in Sean Merriman and Sean Phillips. But this was all built around a new starting quarterback, Phillip Rivers. Now that Drew Brees was gone, the team was in the hands of a third-year QB out of NC State with zero career starts, and he certainly lived up to the billing. The Chargers were a league-best 14-2 in 2006. No team scored more points, even Peyton Manning's Colts. And to complement the high-powered offense was a stingy defense that ranked in the top 10 in points allowed. There were stars up and down the roster, but none brighter than LT. Nine straight 100-yard games, over 2,300 all-purpose yards, 31 scores, plus two passing touchdowns for good measure. Quite simply, a performance for the ages. For Haley Elwood, I'm Chris Harey. This is Running for History, Episode 5, the 2006 Chargers. Presented by Lazy Dog. San Diego Chargers select Ladanian Tomlinson. Ladanian Tomlinson, one step closer to football immortality. And the handoff to Tomlinson. And he will gallop into the end zone. Charger fans are witnesses to history. Hey, everybody. Have you checked out the TV dinners over at Lazy Dog yet? They're great for those days where you just don't feel like cooking. They're made in-house frozen in retro-style trays, and ready to pop in the oven whenever you need them. One of my favorites, the chicken pot pie. It's filled with slow-roasted hand-shredded chicken breast, seasonal vegetables, and a pie dough crust. And now for the fall, they've got a new oven-roasted turkey dinner. I'm talking turkey, gravy, and all the trimmings. It's even got a salted caramel pumpkin cheesecake with graham cracker crumble for dessert. Get them at Lazy Dog for pickup or delivery and you can check it out at LazyDogRestaurants.com. By the beginning of the 2006 season, LaDainian Tomlinson was as relevant as any American athlete. As LA Times writer Sam Farmer remembers, LT took advantage of his status to pick the brains of others in his orbit. He's one of those guys who would look to other sports. He would look to Michael Jordan. He would look to Tiger Woods, um, try to pick their brain as to what they did best and uh, see how he could apply that. He had a, a sort of athletic intelligence um, that he would look beyond the realms of football, look beyond the boundaries and try to find people in other sports who could relate on that super high altitude level of what makes people great. And um, he would be in that sort of collection of athletes uh, that is at the very, very upper reaches of his sport. You know, when you start having consistency, doing it at a high level, when you're performing at a high level and you, you're in and you're out, you're having success, 
you try to find ways to make sure you stay on top of your game, but also ways that you can challenge yourself. Um, because, you know, it, it gets hard. It's get, it gets harder and harder to stay at the top because everybody obviously is aiming for you. And so during that time, I was fortunate enough to, to get a chance to be around Michael Jordan a little bit, play some golf with him, pick his brain, you know, exchange phone numbers. And I would call MJ from time to time. And I do remember having that conversation, Chris, about how do I always make sure that I have a chip on my shoulder? How do I always not take it for granted, the position that I'm in? And he said, the one thing that he tried to do, he tried to focus every single night he went out there on the court. He told himself that there was somebody in that audience that hadn't seen them play before and he wanted to put on a show for them. And that was a great, that was great perspective because I think sometimes as players, we get lost in that, that some, these fans are coming to see us play and some people for their very first time. And, you know, when you put that in perspective, sure, you want to put on the show for that kid that's coming to watch you for the very first time. Um, so that's, that was some of the, you know, what I got from MJ in terms of Tiger. I, I think just the, the mental focus that it takes to dial in every single day and attack every single day um, as in, in terms of what am I going to get better today with, or what am I going to get to better, better today at, and Tiger, you know, there was nobody better at doing that, compartmentalizing, you know, what he had to do, obviously, on the on the course, but also all the business stuff and all the endorsements that he had to, you know, go through as well as I was going through that. So having his perspective really taught me how to balance all of those things that I was going through in my life at that time. While Tomlinson was always focused on improving, so too were Marty Schottenheimer and the Chargers. The Bolts finished 9-7 and seven and missed the playoffs in 2005. In 2006, linebacker Sean Phillips remembers a different vibe around practice. It was always competitive. It was so competitive that I think that's why we were good because it was always so competitive because offense thought they were the best side of the ball. Defense thought they were the best side. We even had a good special teams as well too, right? But it was just always competitive. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, in the NFL, it's usually pretty competitive anyway. But when you got a bunch of dominant egos and dominant alpha males, that it was just competitive. Everyone thought that they were better. Second round rookie Marcus McNeil recalls the trial by fire these practices put him through and how battles with stars like Sean Merriman helped prepare him for the next level of football. When I came, I brought my lunch pail to work. You know, I knew I had people like Sean Merriman, uh, Sean Phillips rushing off the edge that was going to give me a good look in practice and I took advantage of it and you know having some pass rushes like that to go against every week it just made me stronger and, and ready for game day. I mean sometimes the practices were harder than the games um, because that's how much we would compete and we had the type of guys to um, to really get on you right it was it was a player players run situation where um, we, we, you know, started practice, ended practice. Uh, there was no holding back uh, in the locker room. If like, if a guy's not working hard, um, then you knew that he was, somebody was gonna get on you, LT being one and, and low nail and some of the older guys. 
And but that built a culture. That was a culture that we had that if you knew your top players, the biggest guys on your team were working all the time, you knew you couldn't slack. While Marty was pushing the bolts on the practice field, LaDainian Tomlinson found a way to do it off the field. LT knew he was on a roster filled with egos and competitors, so he decided to speak their language. To challenge, you know, to challenge guys. And it, it, was, it was my way of doing it. You know, it was my way of having that personal touch with, with, with different guys on the team. Um, you know, but it, it, it started to go both ways, Chris. I mean, I would... I would do that, you know, to Sean Phillips, and pretty soon Sean Phillips would, would beat me to it. You know, we'll come in that week, and and he'll say, "LT, well, you, you got you got Ray Lewis and Ravens this week. What you gonna have about 40 yards?" And then he'll walk away, and I'll be like, "Okay, okay," but it was a way of motivating you, you know, and and so that started to permeate throughout the locker room. We would that was something how we challenged each other and got each other ready to play. LT set the tone for the entire roster. Sometimes that meant being vocal and challenging other guys to be at their best. But as Chris Dealman remembers, it was usually less showy than that. He led by example. You could see he'd come to camp in shape and he would come ready to rock and roll. And, you know, <clears throat> with, with how great he was as a running back, it just elevated our level of, you know, we don't want to let him down. And then, you know, you throw a guy like Philip Rivers in the mix, who's just full of piss and vinegar, man. He's 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 awesome. Like, Philip, and, you know, he, he's getting in your ear. He's chirping at you. Oh, you can get in there. You Let's get, you know. Tomlinson's rock-solid presence was needed more than ever in 2006, as the Bolts roster was undergoing a change at arguably the most significant position. After tearing his labrum in the final game of the 2005 season, Drew Brees was out in San Diego and on to the Saints. As Antonio Gates remembers, it was finally time for third-year quarterback Phillip Rivers to take the reins and show what he could do. That's what happened. He sat for some years. He was able to watch how to be a quarterback in this league, and he was able to, you know, add it to what he already brought to the table, which is natural leadership ability. And um, I think that's what you do. I think you you learn from the ones that's in front of you, uh, good and bad, and you add it to what you bring to the table naturally. And Phillip was, to me, was already a natural leader by just being around him in the locker room before he stepped foot on the football field. The quarterback is the captain of the offense who orchestrates every play. Changing the signal caller usually completely changes the offense. Farmer Phillips and center Nick Hardwick remember how Marty Ball and LT made the transition much more seamless. To have a guy like LaDainian Tomlinson who can be the fixture on that team and be sort of the the bridge that carries you from one quarterback era to the next and to be so reliant on him and to have him be so reliable um, was essential to the success of the Chargers. We got an old saying in football on offense, they only could do two things, run or pass. And so if the run part was taken care of, you know, all you got to do is worry about the passing part. So that's kind of where the dynamic came from. Uh, when Phil came in, we got off to a great start. And so we just kind of kept rolling. And the theme never really changed from Marty Ball with Drew to Marty Ball with Phil. And I guess kind of with a young quarterback in who is in his third year, but his first year starting, it's same old, same old. Hey, we're going to pound the rock. We're going to play action pass. And we're going to block him on third down when we have to drop back. But we hope not to. You know, it's like run first mentality, get vertical, take care of the football, 
don't take undue risks. I think we all had time to come to grips with Drew was going to move on eventually, and Phillip was going to be our quarterback. You know, it took two years. But when Phillip took over, I, I really think most everybody was just like, okay, you know, we knew this was coming. Let's we, let's win. And it helped that first year, obviously, we, well, we won 10 in a row up, something crazy. Um, you know, first year of Drew, I mean, first year of Phillip starting. And so that obviously helped the transition from Drew to Phillip because we were winning and we were having fun. And all of us was thinking, okay, you know, this is, this is going to work out. Hey, everybody, have you checked out the TV dinners over at Lazy Dog yet? They're great for those days where you just don't feel like cooking. You just pop them in the oven and you're done. One of my favorites, the chicken pot pie. It's filled with slow roasted hand shredded chicken breast and seasonal vegetables and a pie dough crust. And now for the fall, they've got a new oven roasted turkey dinner. I'm talking turkey with gravy and all the trimmings. It's even got a pumpkin cheesecake dessert. Get them at Lazy Dog for pickup or delivery and you can check it out at LazyDogRestaurants.com. The Chargers kicked off the season in Oakland on Monday night. Rivers wouldn't have to do much as he completed the ball 8 of 11 times for just over 100 yards in a score. What he spent most of his night doing was handing the ball off to LT 31 times as the Chargers demolished the Raiders 27-0. The Bolts dominated on defense too, sacking the Raiders nine times, three of them by Sean Merriman. You know, ha having a game like that under the lights, first game of the year, and I remember all the text messages I was getting from like high school coaches, my high school teammates, I mean, everybody, because we were, you know, when you're the Monday night game, you're the only, only show in town. The very next week, the Chargers blew out the Titans 40 to seven. Tomlinson and backup running back Michael Turner combined for over 200 rushing yards, while LT finished with two scores. On the other side of the ball, Merriman was added again, this time with an interception and two defended passes. You know, you always hear about these uh, sophomore slumps where you have people that, and I knew people want to come out and double team and you know, slide protection and chip off the edge and tightness. So I was, I was mentally prepared for like war my 2006 year. The Chargers followed their week three bye with maybe LT's two weakest games that season. The Ravens kept Tomlinson out of the end zone and handed the Chargers their first loss of the season. The following week against the Steelers, LT finished under three yards per carry and 36 rushing yards, by far the lowest that season. But unlike the Ravens game, the Bolts beat the Steelers by two scores. Here's Antonio Gates and former Steelers safety Ryan Clark to explain how Tomlinson was still impacting games even when his stat line wasn't as gaudy as it typically is. What happens is that although from a statistic standpoint, he's not you know, playing as well, the impact of what he brings to the game is still there. And I think sometimes that's why it's very hard to look at the stat sheet to realize what a guy really means to a team or really what he means to a game. Uh, you know, the whole philosophy for, was for the Steelers to stop the run, I'd imagine, because that's how good he was. And what it does is that it gives guys like myself, guys on the outside, whether or not it was Malcolm and Vincent, Chambers, uh, you know, we had, you know, Buster Davis, who knows who was there, you know, Legadoo, we had so many guys that could play. Um, 
But at the end of the day, it gives us the opportunity to make plays one-on-one, which obviously gave me an opportunity to make plays one-on-one, which is like seven-on-seven for Phillip to sit back in the pocket and throw in the football. So that would be the domino effect of what LT brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, I think because you got to pay so much attention to him. You got to have eight-man boxes. Uh, you have to have linebackers that stay home. Every play-action pass is like a freaking fire drill, right? You, you, the safeties are running. The linebackers are running because, you know, you got to stop that dude. And so that allows, that allows guys like Jackson, like Gates, to get one-on-one coverage. And you also have a Pro Bowl quarterback. And so when you think about all of those things that went into stopping him, it allowed the team to be better. And, and that's what was crazy. You know, at the time they played in San Diego and they had some of the better teams in the league. And when you think about a run game, you think about being able to have success later on in the season or understanding that if you stop the run game, they have more chances to be great in the past. And so I think, you know, that night, we all knew coming into the game, it's about getting at LT. By this point, the Chargers looked like contenders at three and one. Tomlinson, though, was not yet an MVP candidate. He had only three total scores and on pace for just 12, as John Spanos recalls. Yeah, it's funny because, again, you're not really like, it's not the primary focus. You're not really thinking about it. And and it's funny the, the way that you're started because if I remember correctly, you know, in like the first few weeks, you know, like I want to say in the first four weeks, like two of the games, he didn't even score a touchdown, right? And then we had a game in San Francisco that really stands out. It's a game I'll never forget. Um, you know, they came out of the gates early, scored a touchdown. Alex Smith was their quarterback. Um, and then we responded and kind of took the game over, put up almost 50 points. I think we finished with 48 points. LT had like four touchdowns. I guess we were kind of moseying along, I, I would say, you know, the first part of the year. And, and part of that was, I think, still trying to find exactly who we were as an offense, even though we knew we can run the ball and all those kinds of things. Um, but that San Francisco game was was really domination for us. That was like taking it to the next level. And I think that's when we started to hit our peak. Um, so yes, I, I do remember. Um, in fact, I, I remember jumping over, speaking of goal line leaps, that, that was one of my, my favorite ones. I think I have that, have that picture on the wall somewhere here in my house of me jumping over the 49ers during that game. Well, I mean, you got Neil, you got LT, you got two tight ends, and it is LT leaping. Touchdown, San Diego! On the trampoline and into the end zone for his third touchdown of the half. Tomlinson's four rushing scores lifted the Chargers to a blowout victory over the 49ers. It was LT's entry into the MVP conversation, stamped by the iconic diving leap over Hardwick in the offensive line. And he was smart about it. He was smart about when he, and that's part of the knowledge of the game and knowing the situation and knowing when, hey, it's really time to jump up over this pile and get about eight feet in the air and extend myself. And this could be ugly on the way down. And, but he made those choices, but they were smart choices. The leap is, is, is homage to, to Walter Payton, you know, because, you know, he did it so gracefully. He was the first person that I really noticed doing it when I was a kid, five, six years old, seeing Walter Payton jumping over the pile. I always envisioned myself doing that. In fact, I used to get in trouble at home because I would I would leap over the, the, the couch, you know, the arm of the couch onto the couch. 
I used to take my football and leap over and my mom would get so mad at me for, for doing that because she thought I was going to hurt myself. The following week, it was back to the division, a road game at Arrowhead against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chargers were down two touchdowns multiple times throughout the game. A one-yard Tomlinson touchdown pass tied the game up with five minutes remaining, but it still wouldn't be enough. Kansas City drove down the field and set Lawrence Tynes up for the game-winning field goal. It was a crushing loss, but it also presented a turning point in the season. LT wrote a poem for his teammates, and as Sean Merriman remembers, it had an impact. I do remember uh, the emotions that were felt in the room when that happened. Uh, LT was one of those, he's just one of those guys, man, that he didn't really have to talk a whole lot. But when he did, you, like I said, you can hear a pin drop. And um, at that moment, uh, we, we knew it from the heart what, what it meant to him. Uh, for us to go out and have a season with, with, that we did. The Chiefs game would be the last regular season loss the Chargers would have in 2006. The team went 10-0 the rest of the way. Tomlinson would run for multiple touchdowns every game the next eight weeks, culminating in a two-score performance during the Week 15 rematch against the Chiefs. During that eight-game span, LT averaged over 140 yards a game and scored 21 rushing touchdowns, not to mention two more receiving and one thrown. It was a time when you saw a lot of LT's iconic finger roll. For team owner Dean Spanos and former beat reporter Jim Trotter, it was the subtle celebration that became forever linked to number 21. That was LT's personality. It was, didn't want to be too flashy, didn't want to be over the top on it. It just said, touchdown, thank you very much, kind of is the way I looked at it. And I think most people like that, that it's a little bit understated and not too crazy out there. What it says to me, truthfully, is that these guys have given thought to it. Like, it doesn't just happen to where you're going to do that every time you score a touchdown. You might do it, you know, just instinctually one time or two times. Someone says something, and then you think in your mind, like, yeah, that's mine. So you continue to do it. I wanted to bring an element of my second favorite sport, which is basketball. I wanted to bring that element to the football field in, in some aspects. And so, um, you know, this was something that I had thought about over time. So being creative, the first thing that you learn in basketball is how to shoot a layup. I mean, it's the basics. That's the foundation of learning to play basketball. You go, you know, you dribble, you hit the backboard, you know, and do a layup. But as you evolve in that layup, you start to learn how to finger roll. You know, everybody remember Dr. J and those guys, uh, George Gervin, doing the finger roll. It became something that was so sweet. So my thought was, I wanted to do a finger roll with the football when I scored. But I, I guess the thought behind it was, I was initially saying to the defense, well, you know, the easiest drill in basketball is to do a layup. Well, if I go in standing up and I do a layup, it was that easy. That's what I'm essentially saying to the defense. And so it just became my signature. And if you notice, Chris, if I fell down going into the end zone, I never did it. it I had to be going in standing up in order to do the finger roll. From the right to the left, it is second and one from the 49ers six yard line. Little pitch back, LT, right side, plenty of room. Touchdown, San Diego. Another iconic element of LT's game was his lethal stiff arm and how he could send defenders into the dirt if they got too close. The stiff arm was something that 
you know, obviously you develop over time, but it was a part of my game that I had at a very young age. I mean, I, I, I used to use my stiff arm, honestly, in Pop Warner. I was always a kid that was very comfortable running with the football in both hands, in both arms. And so I developed that at a, at a young age, the ability to use my off arm to keep a, a defenders away from me and off of me. And over time, there are drills that you can do to work on the stiff arm because it, it's really, it's a punch. And so you work on punching a, a, a bag, uh, you know, a, a bag out on the practice field. We used to do that, uh, you know, sometimes in individual drills, you get the ball in one hand, you run, somebody's holding the bag and you try to punch that bag as hard as you can at the right time. And so as I did that constantly, my stiff arm just got stronger and got quicker and faster, just like a boxer would. As a boxer is, is you know, working on his craft. It was the same way with my stiff arm. I had a gift to, to throw that stiff arm and it was one of my favorite things to do. Um, so yeah, of course, you know, knocking the guy's helmet off is probably my greatest stiff arm, I would say, because it obviously led to a touchdown after that. Gates creates all kinds of mismatches depending on where he lines up. Here's Tomlinson, big burst, still on his feet. The 20, the 10, touchdown. Second of the first quarter, 90th of Tomlinson's NFL career. Tomlinson finished the Bolts' victory over the Rams with 240 all-purpose yards and three scores, averaging seven yards per carry. The very next week, Tomlinson dominated the Browns, averaging over nine and a half yards per carry. First and 10 from the Cleveland 42, trailing 12 to 10. Rivers under center, hands it off. Tomlinson up the middle, and there he goes. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, chase from behind. Touchdown, San Diego! As John Spanos remembers, it was a time where LT was running and scoring at will, even after starting a game down three scores. It just was like every week, like the touchdown count for LT was like four, three, four, two, four. And, and it's like, wow. And there were some games in there. You know, we go to Cincinnati, we're down 21 nothing like that, and then 28-7 at the half, and we just come storming back, right? And, um, and LT was a big part of that game and, and winning it. So, you know, it was kind of one of those things where you got towards the end of the year, it's like, hey, wow, like we're witnessing history here. First and goal just inside the 10. Here comes LT. Cuts it back all the way to the end zone for the touchdown. We got down 21-0 in, in a hurry. It was the first quarter we were down 21-0. And I remember we all, nobody panicked. We all felt like, hey, guys, you know, there's a lot of football left to be played. You know, we're going to come back. We're going to make a run at this game. And pretty soon, you know, we did. We started to move the ball. And, and what happened was, it just so happened that when we got down in the red zone, a lot of runs popped, you know, like 10, 15 yards here. You know, they popped and I was able to, you know, get in the end zone and have four touchdowns that day. But it wasn't like, you know, we were just dominating them, running the football, and it was easy. It was, it was a tough game that we had to fight back. The very next week, the Bolts would find themselves down again this time 17 points to the rival Broncos. But there was no panic in this team. Tomlinson scored four times that game, with three of them coming in the final 20 minutes of regulation to help lift the Chargers to another comeback victory. 
LT also became the fastest player in NFL history to reach 100 scores. Knocking on the door of 100 right now on first and goal. Jackson in motion. Rivers handoff. Tomlinson up the middle. He's got it. Triple digits. Touchdown, Ladanian Tomlinson. One double O for Mr. Everything. Denver safety at the time, Dominique Foxworth, still remembers the feeling of trying to bring down number 21. Terrible. Terrible. It was terrible. Doing anything against him was terrible. I promise you. So, like, bringing, tackling him was enormous. Like, it felt incredible to be able to bring him to the ground. That was a, a very difficult task to accomplish. And, uh, I, like, I wasn't joking about, I remember quite clearly playing Nickelback, which is, um, for those who don't understand, it's like on passing downs, you essentially go in and play like a linebacker position. And so they would design plays to make sure that we would have to tackle. So I'd be the unblocked man uh, in the hole with LT. And I remember all the times that I, that I won because there were so few. The following week, the Chargers completed a sweep of the Raiders for the third straight season. Sean Phillips remembers the way his coach would prepare them to face off against the Silver and Black. He always uh, started off with, listen, all you guys got to do is do your job. We know that they're going to mess up. They're going to screw up. They're going to have penalties. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot. We know that they were going to do that. So therefore, we knew we just had to go out and play our style of football. That 2006 roster was close, like a family. And this family had a favorite game to play outside of football. Well, well, dominoes with everyone, it was competitive. You know what I mean? Whether it was... Uh, whether it was, uh, you know, everyone in the locker room, Shea Caldwell, rest in peace, uh, myself, Carlos Polk, those dominoes games got very competitive. Everyone, because just been dominoes in general, you know, everyone's talking trash, and, and you know how it is, a bunch of alpha aggro males playing dominoes, competing against each other. So those games got played down to the last minute before we ran out on the field for practice. You know, because it's still, it's still about chemistry in football. It's still about unity and coming together for one common purpose purpose and what way to do that that to sit down you have a group of guys around the table and, and you're playing dominoes you're connecting on, on a different level i do remember the dominoes games and how intense those games were and how upset those games were all the way to the car games um but i think what it built was camaraderie and chemistry for us which allowed us to go out and play for one another because what we had was we became friends. We became friends in those locker rooms. And then what happened when you went on the field, you're not only playing to win the game, but you're playing for your friend. By December, Gates and the Chargers were rolling with five straight victories. Players like Hardwick remember the way winning turned infectious as the team got on a roll. And Marty would say this, winning breeds winning breeds winning breeds winning. And, and once you started winning, and once you started getting that momentum on your side, it was almost hard to lose and that's how we felt about the year it just went and when you win like that my god it happens in the blink of an eye you wish those winning seasons felt as long as the losing ones so you could really enjoy them but it was like week after week after week and it just happens in a hurry and all of a sudden you're 14 and 2 and setting records and having a blast and unfortunately it didn't end how we wanted it to but man, that was a fun year. You know, it wasn't all about X's and O's at that time. It was just about uh, two on one, mano a mano, you know, 600 against 300. That's what we would say. And uh, when you have a guy like LaDainian, and again, at the time, I didn't really acknowledge it and didn't know it. 
it was until he left when I was like, wow, I remember our blocking schemes used to be we double team the defensive lineman and we leave the guy in, in the back the back end for Ladanian because he's going to make a miss. Do you know how easy that makes your job? <laughs> you can just double team a guy and leave the safety and leave the linebacker because we know a guy like Ladanian is going to make you miss. LT's ability to consistently make one defender miss is something that crippled defenses. Listen to Dominique Foxworth explain why. A well-designed run defense ends up with one free person in the ball carrier. That's like considered success. The problem is if that one free person can't take tackle the ball carrier consistently enough, you got a problem. You got to have other people beating blocks and still that may not be enough. Really think about what Foxworth just said there. That's just how dominant Tomlinson was in 2006. But it was what LT did during the week that impressed Merriman the most. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it was probably for me personally, it was more fun watching LT sometime in practice because that's the real work that people don't get a chance to see. And he made it look, LT made it look so easy on game day that, you know, it, you, you get a chance to see the real work during practice during the week. One game before the record breaker against Denver, the Chargers beat the Buffalo Bills 24-21. Tomlinson tied and then passes Texas childhood hero and eventual mentor Emmett Smith's mark of 25 touchdowns, which stood as an NFL record for nearly a decade. And like, you know, LT fashion, he never made a big deal about it. We knew and we, we you know, we were kind of looking at it, but uh, we never you know, kind of talked about it publicly. We just kind of looked at the stats and you'll see little things popping up and how close he was to Emmitt Smith's record. And um, he never made a big deal about it. Second and goal, eye formation, handoff LT, outside, left side, touchdown! He did it one more time! The great one, his second touchdown of the game. The dream that I had um, of, of making it to the NFL and being just like him, and then meeting him as a 12-year-old and getting, you know, having that boost of confidence that, man, I just met Emmitt Smith, this NFL all-star. You know, like, I want to break his records one day. I want to do what he's doing. To be in that position as a kid and then ultimately have the opportunity to do it. I mean, that's that's the life of, that's the life of, of you know, um, folk stories, if you will, like that doesn't happen to the average person. And so to, to be in that position, to have a chance to break my idol's record, man, I, I got emotional about it at the time because it, it was really like coming full circle. The records at the time, you don't understand it's not that big of a deal. Like, yes, thank you. Appreciate it. Everything is great. And then when you step away from the game, you're like, oh man, I just, I, I got this record, you know? So you can be retired 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and your name is always still there. And that's how I, I would always look at LT. And that's how the guys look at the 2006 season. It was a blur in the moment because everyone was so focused on going 1-0 each week like their coach taught them to. Donnie Edwards and Nate Kading look back on those times fondly. We worked hard. We all ran it for the right reason. I think a lot of us, um, I mean, we all hung out together. I mean, we're always spending time i know we changed the locker room that year and you know we spent a lot of time together and we um you know i mean on thursday's nights i know that you know the linebackers where we got you know we always got food 
and we invite coaches and everybody to come down there, hang out, watch film. I think we really, really knew that we had a great team, and we put the time and effort to make it happen. You know, you're always just kind of head down, thinking about the you know the next game and what you need to do to to go forward there. And I think we all, I think you know, the whole team had that had that mentality. When you get rolling and start rattling off the the wins like we were doing that year, you kind of get in that flow state where things are just are they, are just moving, you know. And you got to you got to have that like you're walking that tightrope, that kind of tunnel vision, one step in front of the next. I know that's what Marty was really preaching then too. Is hey the the it's it's a it's a good problem to have where the distractions get louder and the noise gets louder. But hey, let's tune all that stuff out and let's focus on winning you know one game after the next because you know like we all know the NFL could be a fragile business so you know one one week you think you got the you got the thing licked and then the next one it can fall off on you so I think that that was a great you know Marty did a great job of leading the team then just keeping everybody super focused 2006 was also the year where fantasy football owners were rooting for LT to score as much as the Chargers faithful here's ESPN's Eric Carabell on the GOAT season in fantasy history not only did he have an amazing season in 2006 he scored more than 110 PPR points than anybody else. Larry Johnson was second. That's how impactful Tomlinson was. It was hard not to win your fantasy league in 2006 if you had Tomlinson because there was just nobody putting up that those points. And his year was unbelievable. And again, we've never seen anything like it. And we can give you all the, the totals here, the rushing yards, the all-purpose. He also had two passing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns, but he had eight consecutive games with multiple touchdowns. He had 13 touchdowns in November alone, and in weeks 8 through 16, leading you up to your fantasy title games, he averaged 169 scrimmage yards and two and a half touchdowns per game. So he was doing it every week in November and December, and obviously the fantasy playoffs in late December, he was still putting up the numbers, impactful games there. So that's unbelievable. There was nobody else even coming close. Tomlinson's all-time season was one of the many reasons Carabell named him the best fantasy player of the decade. Tomlinson, we never had to worry about him for that six-year period. And really, it was like nine, year, nine years, his entire Chargers career. We never had to worry about him in fantasy. Every year, he was a top 10 running back. Every year, he put up the numbers, the touchdowns, the receptions, the rushing yards, the total yards from scrimmage. I mean, nobody's like 2,000 yards. He did it twice from scrimmage. Hey, everybody. Have you checked out the TV dinners over at Lazy Dog yet? They're great for those days where you just don't feel like cooking. You just pop them in the oven and you're done. One of my favorites, the chicken pot pie. It's filled with slow roasted hand shredded chicken breast and seasonal vegetables and a pie dough crust. And now for the fall, they've got a new oven roasted turkey dinner. I'm talking turkey with gravy and all the trimmings. It's even got a pumpkin cheesecake dessert. Get them at Lazy Dog for pickup or delivery and you can check it out at LazyDogRestaurants.com. In a year unlike any other, the milestone that may have meant the most to Tomlinson was the one named after his childhood idol, the man who inspired his goal line leaps, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And to make it even sweeter, Tomlinson was a co-winner with his former high school all-star teammate and friend, Drew Brees. Here's Doug Flutie and team owner Dean Spanos. Mature guys at a young age knew what it was about, knew I understood how to get involved in the community and do the things the right way. So even to be, to represent your team as Walter Payton Man of the Year, he's a great honor. And for both these guys, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I looked at him as kind of like the kids that I was helping bring along while I was out there. But 
You know, they, they were going to do what they did no matter where I was. I was just admiring from a distance. He's never said this to me, but I would bet if you asked him one of the most special moments in, the, in your life, I would say that has to go down as one of the special moments. It had to mean a lot to him. And Drew Brees, and I know he were best of buddies and still are good friends. So I think all of that combined was uh, kind of really special for him. Dreaming about being a running back because of Walter. Um, to this guy that I knew in high school, you know, we came into the league together. We used to be teammates. We actually did community service together, uh, you know, in the community, serve that community together to now years later, to be in a position where we're sharing this prestigious award, the MVP off the field for the National Football League. I mean, it, it, you, you can't write a better story. And not, not only that, um, if you recall, Drew, Drew was the runner-up, really, for the MVP that year. You know, we almost shared that as well. I mean, that was, it was a close race that I, I barely um, edged him out in, but it could have very well been co-MVPs as well as co-Walter Payton Man of the Year. Lori Ann Tomlinson saw firsthand how the Bears legend made him want to be a better football player and man. If anyone knew what this award meant to Ladanian, it was his mother. He told me something about meeting uh, Walter Payton's family, his wife and kids. And so I think even because Walter wasn't there, just to see that, that his family, you know, uh, uh, appreciated he and Jew and Drew for you know, just doing what they do, you know, because this is, is something that when you're involved with football, it's a, it's a family. What we thought about was how proud we were making our family, um, you know, our community, high schools, where we come from, and the state of Texas, you know, the, the pride that we have for our state of growing up there um, and having both of us holding this prestigious award of being Walter Payton the NFL man of the years. Like that's like not many, not many people can say that, uh, let alone, you know, Texas. The other thing is, um, you know, it, it, it was like the journey that you think about, like this journey that we have been through. Now, here we were at the, I think it was like at NFL honors or something that we both I have that picture of Drew and I both, you know, with, with our trophy, you know, with our Walter Payton Man of the Year awards, holding it together. And it's like one of the best pictures ever. The award was evidence of the impact Tomlinson had on his community. Here's John and Dean Spanos. You know, when you see powder blue jerseys, um, you think of LaDainian Tomlinson, right? And when you, and there's so many, you know how many fans I talk to today, um, when I, we're on the road and we got all these fans we run into and I love, you know, asking people, Hey, you know, how did you become a Charger fan? It's amazing for how many of them it was, you know, this guy, LaDainian Tomlinson, just, I couldn't stop watching him. You know, like he, he made me a Charger fan. Um, that's how impactful he is, right? Um, he's a guy who didn't just help us win games. He helped build our fan base. Um, he made a positive impact in the community. He's part of our family. He'll forever be part of the Charger family. And uh, I know a lot of people used to come just to see him play. It didn't matter if we won or lost, okay? And I think that magic, as I, I like to use the word magic, I, I just created something 
in our team that hadn't been there in a long time. This franchise started in 1960, right? Like before any of us were born. And when you look like that period from when we drafted him, okay, and really starting mainly in 04 when we won our first division title with him and the success we had, like the number of games we won, the division titles we won, has been the most successful stretch of any period in this franchise's history. And he was a really big part of that. And that 2006 squad may have been the most talented in franchise history. Sean Merriman certainly believes so. It's just the establishment of dominance that we had as a team, especially that 06 year. I don't think, and I say this now, and I, and I say it in a serious manner, I think that 06 team will match up against anybody in any era, in any uh, set of football, because that's what type of team we had. You're so focused on, we got to win this next game. Okay, now we got to win this next game. You're not even really thinking about anything else. Um, and then now to sit and look back and you look at LT season, the production, I mean, it's crazy. You think about these numbers, right? Like some of these touchdown numbers he had that year. I'm not sure anyone will ever beat him. And there was no weak links. There was no weak links with another team watching us and saying, you know what, we're going to try this area to fill because they're weak at this position. There was none. So in our mentality and how we played and how we got after the quarterback, how we finished tackles, if you looked at that 06 team and put us at any team in the 90s, put us at any team in the 80s and see what we match up at across the board, and I guarantee you we'll be neck and neck in a lot of positions. Just the excitement in San Diego, uh, the excitement of those games. I remember thinking, you know, from the blimp, it must look like a sea urchin or something, like a, a sea anemone with the – so the stadium just overflowing with people and going crazy. I mean, it was so loud and um, people just loved this guy. LT could have been uh, mayor. He probably could have been governor of the state of California. He was so popular. Sam Farmer witnessed the dominance of that 06 Chargers team firsthand. He saw how LaDainian Tomlinson developed, developed as a player, a man, and a Chargers icon. You know, he was a Southern California superstar when, when Southern California didn't have the NFL other than the Chargers. There was no NFL team in Los Angeles. Um, this was a guy, maybe one of the last great running backs in a passing league. LT was the last of his kind, really. Um, a guy who, now you had Adrian Petersons, you had you know, some great backs over the years, but year in and year out, LT was so reliable and such a touchdown machine. Um, he embodied the, the sort of excitement. He was the face of the San Diego Chargers. And usually uh, it's a quarterback who's the face of a franchise, a coach who's the face of a franchise. There aren't, there aren't a lot of running backs who are faces of the franchise. LT was definitely the face of the Chargers. This has been an L.A. Chargers production. Coming up next on the series finale of Running for History, we take a deep dive into the record-breaking game that forever cemented LaDainian Tomlinson in football history. So when Sean had the sack fumble and we got the ball back and uh, somebody, I think it was Lorenzo, ran over to me and looked at me like, it's about to happen, <laughs> you know? And I was thinking like, man, you're right. It was electric, especially for me, because now that I think about it, you know, every time they track, chant LT, I was just kind of like visualized in the back of my mind and they, B-Mac, 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 B-
Big Mac, Big Mac. You know what I'm saying? So I'd be like, all right, let's go. We got to get out of here. You know what I'm saying? We got to score right back now. I remember Marty Schottenheimer always saying, there are championship moments throughout your career that you're going to enjoy. You know, because Marty used to say, no, you know, I didn't win the Super Bowl, but I had championship moments. So that that day, no question about it, Chris, that was a championship moment. 